0: To the Reading the Bible Together podcast, I'm your host Angela Smith. Today we are talking about Luke chapter fourteen, and my guest today is host of
1: Mornings with Carmen Laberge, Carmen Laberge. Good Welcome, morning, Carmen. or it is not necessarily morning when people yeah. are listening to this. It's just <laughs> always morning when I'm talking. So, hi Angela. Hi, I'm so glad you're here. This is so fun. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about the conversation because we always have such great conversations. I'm excited about. Being able to record it and having someone else join us at the table. Love it. I love it. So we are talking about Luke 14. And so what stuck out to you in this chapter?
1: So I think what stands out to me, I mean, there are so many portions of Luke 14 that I think are essential and important. Um, I I took note in the very opening verse that Jesus was being closely watched. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder how closely I watched Jesus. Ooh. Like, right? I mean, I realized they were closely watching him because they were trying to catch him doing something that they could criticize or, um, you know, bring him up on spurious charges about. But when I think about what I'm doing in my walk of discipleship, in my life of discipleship, how closely am I watching Jesus um, so that was one of the things. I know it's really early in this passage, and it's certainly not the emphasis of of this chapter, but um, that was, you asked me to identify something that stood out to me, and that is certainly one thing that stood out to me. Well, and I think what's interesting with
0: Luke, at the or the way that they, whoever went back and put the chapter markers in, is that it's easy to skip over some things that are at the beginning of the chapters. Like back in chapter eight, at the very beginning, we see Luke lists some of the women who were following Jesus and kind of bankrolling the ministry, which you could read those, you know, three verses and la, la 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 and go on to the next thing. So I'm so glad that you pointed that out because it's, you know, where if you have a red letter Bible, you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to get down to the red letters, which, you know, spoiler alert, God, it's all God-breathed. But I love that you pointed that out. Pointed that out. And what made the imagery that in my head made me think of is when we were children watching adults or watching, you know, or even now learning how to do something that we— Watch, you know, if someone's teaching you how to do something on per- technology, perhaps, <laughs> you're like, okay, you watch very intently so you can, oh, I click here and then this happens. And and that's exactly how we're supposed to be watching Jesus, to be able to imitate him, to be imitators of Christ.
1: Yeah, there's this, uh, I feel like Luke is trying to show us um, what we might not otherwise see or hear mm-hmm. uh, in in the parts of this that he's, you know, kind of serving as the narrator. So. Um, this note at the beginning of chapter 14. And again, if you have a red letter Bible, this is like literally easy to see. But Luke is is telling us, you know, when this occurred, this is on a Sabbath, what everybody else is doing. So they're in the house of a prominent Pharisee and Jesus was being carefully watched. But Jesus turns the attention of those carefully watching him to somebody they literally don't see, mm. a person in their midst who they don't see. Jesus clearly sees the man with dropsy. Jesus clearly sees the, the the suffering person, the person who's in immediate need. Everybody else is busy closely, closely watching Jesus, and Jesus turns their attention to the one person who they haven't even bothered to see. Um, and I think that that is that's that's a really like critical note for each and every one of us. Yes, he he performs, um, you know this this he asked this question about uh, whether or not it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Um, And of course they don't answer because, you know, they don't want to acknowledge that there's a person who's in need of healing and they don't have the resources to make him whole. Mm -hmm. Jesus then, you know, does what we know him to do, which is he chose the time, he chose the place, he chose the opportunity. He does it on the Sabbath intentionally, you know, so that yeah. In their hearts, they can bring a charge against him. Um, and this goes back to the conversation about him being Lord of the Sabbath. So anyway, I just, those are some things that um, I would highlight very early. I think the emphasis of this chapter, um, and this comes out in the notes that if you've done the study guide for chapter 14, I encourage you to do that. Um, you know, I, I do think that the the portions of this chapter that I would highlight would be um, the the conversation that takes place about where we sit. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> who sits where, mm-hmm. and then the cost of discipleship. Yeah, that's good. So let,
0: let's go there and talk about that a little bit first, about where to sit. Because because he is sitting with, uh, well, because he's at the Pharisee's house. I had a couple of thoughts happening. Because he's at the Pharisee's house, and so then there's going to be places of honor. And that I love British period drama. And so if you've watched something like Downton Abbey, you'll see that there are important places to seat people, and there are... Places of honor, which I don't think in our culture we see or do quite as much. And so this might not quite fall on us the same. We might not understand it. But to sit at,
1: you know, either
0: side of the host was a a privileged place to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this conversation took me to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 where we have the context of Paul's prayer of thanksgiving for the Christians in Ephesus. I'd encourage you to spend some time in Ephesians chapter 1, read the context, which is verses 15 through 23. I'll just highlight verses 20 and 21, talking here about uh, Christ uh, when God raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So Psalm 110.1 is being fulfilled here. Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. That is what we claim in, um, in the Apostles' Creed as well. You know, we believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and what? Is seated, seated. at the right hand of the Father. So where you get to sit— is an actual kingdom issue. Um, but God alone is the one who assigns the seating. And Jesus points that out, right? It's not It's not for me to say who sits at the right and the left. Those have already been assigned. Um, and the point that Jesus is making is if you're worried about where you're going to be sitting, you're worried about the wrong things. right? Um, and so this is a teaching. I mean, certainly the direct teaching of this is about humility. But I think the larger conversation is, you know, Am I concerned about where Jesus is sitting right now and what what that means? And, you know, he talks about the seats in heaven already being reserved. Like, that's notable. There's a place card at an empty chair right now in the kingdom of heaven. And let me tell you, I don't care where it is at the table. I just care that there's one with my name on it, right? I, I just want to be found among those whose names are already written on place cards at the great banquet of the uh, you know of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the host of heaven, uh, the bridegroom, like I, I want I want to know that. and you could be assured of that. And I think
0: something else that is noteworthy about the seating is that Jesus sat down next to God at the right hand of God, because it shows it tells us in, in Hebrews that it that he sat down. He sat down because unlike the high priests in the in the Old Testament in the, during the time of the law, they were constantly trying to make amends. They were trying constantly offering because the final sacrifice had not been made for sin, but because Jesus had made that sacrifice, he was able to sit down and to the point of the suffering that he had to go through to earn sitting at God's right hand because he was crucified, died, and was buried and ascended again or, you know, was raised again.
1: Yeah, if you want to give some thought to conversations about, um, you know, this sort of seating arrangement, uh, the request of James and John, yes. or as recorded, you know, elsewhere, the request of the of the mother of James and John, you know, that they want to be assigned the seats at the right and the left, and and Jesus very clearly says, you know, those aren't um, those aren't for me to give. I also, um, you know, would point people to Philippians chapter two, in talking about just exactly what what you're saying there, Angela. Jesus earned the right to be seated at the Father's right hand, not that he was doing what he did in order to earn the seat. He did what he did because that seat was already his. Right. Like, right? Um, and so I think that when we consider who Jesus is and what he did and then what he encourages us to do, which is to not seek to have the best seat in the house— but to seek to serve everyone, right? Get up from the table, take off, you know, the outer garment, tie a serving towel around your waist Mm -hmm. and get down on your knees and serve other people. And see the unseen people in the room. See the unseen people in the room. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And so then the other thing that, well, and we've talked about a little bit, the cost of discipleship, I think is what we have already talked about. It's that Surrender. It's what we talked about at the beginning. It's watching closely what Jesus did and imitating him.
1: Yeah, I made a list. In answer to the question, what does it take to be a disciple um, or follower of Jesus? I, I pulled out some words that come from the 14th chapter. Um, the first one is just the word if, and then there's the word anyone, and then there's the word comes to me or the language of comes to me. So, if, that's a big if. Right, so, the first question about whether or not you are a disciple or a follower of Jesus is an if question. If you believe that he is who he claims to be and has done on your behalf what he says he has done, mm-hmm. um, which is to atone, right? Right. Um, and so, if and then, if anyone, I think the anyone question is 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 good. This is an offer that is available to anyone. Mm-hmm. And so, if anyone and then comes to me, that's really the essential act. You have to come to him, right? As you are recognizing your need acknowledging who he is, that's the come-to-me part. And then later, Jesus talks about um, if anyone carries his cross, if anyone follows me. So those would be the other things, I think, that stand out to me in this passage. You have to come to Jesus, carry your cross, whatever that looks like in this life, and follow him. And then in verse 33, I think, is the one that you might have had in mind when you asked this, which is that we would give up everything. Yeah. 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 Which I feel like is a process. So for me, it was a once and done kind of deal. Mm -hmm. When I was, um, you know, when I was asked the question, I think uh, that for me was the question of discipleship. So I was 16 years old. Um, I was not at peace. My dad had uh, recently died of a heart attack. He was 43. I was asking the questions Uh, about the reality of God and whether or not this thing that I had grown up being taught was real. And, And this other high school student actually asked me, like, do you want, do you want peace? I mean, is that actually something that you want? And my answer was yes. And he said, it's just like, you know, the gospel. I mean, like, you know, that all you have to do is ask for it. So when I gave everything of me that I knew and understood, which was a mess of brokenness and fear, and when I gave all of that, all of myself that i understood to all of jesus that i understood i that was an all in deal there was i didn't reserve any nobody said well you can just give part of yourself to jesus right
0: but what i didn't understand when i made that commitment is that it wasn't just that one time it was daily that it yeah. I, I that i moment need to do moment. that yeah that i need to daily
1: yeah i sacrifice. do think that there's so there's kind of two ways to think about that there is the you know i'm all in mhm and then there is the oh, want this moment by moment <laughs> recognition that I need to surrender the the temptation to withhold mm-hmm. something, anything. Yeah, and, and I think it comes down to learning to hold things loosely, learning to hold people loosely, um, learning to hold opportunities loosely, learning to hold grief loosely. Like you, you gotta. We're not we're not built to carry what God's. Uh, what only you know, God's glory can can shoulder, can burden. Thank you so much,
0: Carmen. Thank you for joining me and and going a little bit deeper in this chapter. It's always so fun to see what people are going to bring in the conversation that we're going to have and just really trusting the Holy Spirit to lead and guide. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us for the Reading the Bible Together podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. And we'll see you next time for Luke chapter 15.
1: The Reading the Bible Together podcast is a production of Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Hosted, produced, and edited by Angela Smith. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, consider financially supporting Faith Radio. Find more information at myfaithradio.com.